Hello and welcome to Story Guts, where we explore what the stories we tell tell about us. I'm Molly Curran. And I'm Alice Sly. Thanks for listening. Um, apologies for my voice. Uh, I, I've come down with a bit of a terrible cold. It's also why our episode's a bit late. Um, I didn't have a voice for a few days um, and I didn't want to subject you guys to my uh, sort of creaking that was coming out of my mouth. Um, <laughs> Your labored wheezing. Well, we could have, yeah. we floated the idea that maybe you could like do a speak and spell kind of thing. Um, mm. But yeah, the technology fell through at the last moment. Yeah, you know. Someone's toddler needed it. So yeah, that that's what was going on there. And that's, that's sort of what inspired our topic for this week as well. Um, <laughs> because we're going to be talking about illness. Which is a huge topic. Uh, so, <laughs> right. Like, like it's really big. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not pretending to cover anything like all of it, nor are we proposing any grand theory of, you know, sickness, sickness as metaphor. Like, um, what's her name? Susan Sontag. Oh, uh, is that? Okay. That's pretty um, cool. So... Just get that out of the way. But we'll talk about some examples we know of um, illness being sort of an important uh, or motivating factor in, you know, media. Media fiction. You know, what we do about stories that, uh, that what they tell about us. Um, yep. I do like that. This is, this is the first time I think we're, we've graduated, we've had an explicit um, disclaimer that we're not going to try to cover everything. I think like gradually we're re- we're discovering that we are we tackle topics that are far too large to be covered in um several hours much less like 30 minutes of talking about random examples but sickness yeah. i think it's near and dear to us because i was also like walking around with a cold for the better part of two weeks like a month ago so yeah um you know we've most of us right have experienced the at least having that sort of terrible cold. Um, the specter of ill health spewing. Uh, but, you know, the the common cold is not really that central to a lot of stories, I think. Um, and we can come to some examples where it does pop up later. Uh, but I think, like, you know, what what we tend to get, right, in any classic story featuring illness is... Um, you know, maybe like a plague, something on the epidemic scale, mm-hmm. um, or at the very least, a um, you know individual, but uh, lethal, like, lethal illness, potentially lethal at least. And then the other other trend that we have seen is the um, these like romances, these dying dying children romances. Not always, not always teens, but um, often, which is just kind of there seems to be a popular one every, um, you know, every few years or so. 
not decade though, right? Like I feel like it comes around way more often than once a decade. I mean, like the the well, the big ones I'm thinking of are probably all about like six years apart, seven years mm, apart. Okay, so not quite a decade. Though um, the last one uh, was um, just like sitcom episodes where someone like gets the cold, gets something like oh. mild but not life threatening, and it's. I already said that there oh. were colds. Although I actually do have a few examples for later of where colds are a motivating plot yeah? point. Okay. Um, but let's let's start by just talking about let's let's go big, right? Let's yeah. talk about plagues. Let's go um, big. Let's go for the mega deaths. You know, the the Black Death, uh, or any sort of um, dystopian epidemic that wipes out. The entire population, right? This is the fear. We're not going to be taken down by uh, nuclear war. We're not going to be taken down by environmental catastrophe. We're going to be taken down by a super virus. Mm-hmm. I was told that. By the way, I just want you to know, somebody told me that in like middle school, and by somebody, I mean like an adult. So adult in just, school, just like like got on got on their knees in front of you and it's like, "Hey, Molly, just so you know, um, we won't die because like bombs and stuff, like, but." We will all die because of the disease. Like we had, we watched a video about how the flu will kill us all. What? Eventually. Yeah. What video was this? This is not I like just... the miracle of life in health class or whatever. No, although that was traumatizing in its own way. Um, but no, yeah, it was just about how the flu will kill us all. Which I mean, fair, it might. But I mean, yes, but it doesn't seem. Um... It doesn't seem like good teaching practice to be like, ah, time for my yearly tradition of traumatizing a new group of students in middle school with um, the knowledge that death is inevitable and that like their um, loved ones will die choking on their own blood. Like, that's not responsible. Yeah, yeah but you know, it's middle school. Anything goes. <laughs> um, okay. So when we're thinking about these kinds of stories... And we we touched on this a little bit um, in our zombie episode, actually. Mm-hmm. When, we talk, when we talk about the sort of commonness of the zombie virus. Sorry, someone is getting pizza Ooh, in nice. the background. Do you want pizza? Uh, um, the zombie virus um, as being sort of a metaphor or an allegory for questions of otherness, immigration, um, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And I think, like, in just stories of um, dystopian epidemics, one could argue that that's the case as well. And even explicitly in um, one of the most famous stories about a, a plague, which is The Plague by uh, Albert Camus, um, the guy who wrote The Stranger, um, like, it's all it's all a metaphor for, like, war and colonization and uh invasion and that sort of Mm -hmm. thing i can think of a lot of um modern or contemporary examples of the plague and bioengineer like as examples of like bioengineering or like global inter globalization um why do you think moves sort of looked at uh the black plague as a metaphor versus something more relatively i don't know another like what you were talking about with war or invasion or um malaise i i think the the 
the appeal of the plague as metaphor is its ability to really strike anybody. There mm-hmm. is no... You, you can try to hide, and obviously if you're wealthy, you have a better chance of kind of sequestering yourself, but the the plague doesn't discriminate, you know? Like, mm-hmm. the plague will get you. It's being carried around on mice. Mice are everywhere. Mice That's don't know the point. difference between a rich man and a poor man. Um, and I think, you know, I, I can't quite remember when the plague was written, but my guess is it's written post World War One and uh-huh. um you know the the for a lot of people World War One uh was a huge trauma of a war in in which also there was the, the influenza was killing everybody. Mm-hmm. Like more people died from the influenza than died in World War One and a lot of people died in World War One. Um Yeah. So I think I think that uh sort of memory of that sort of sweeping illness that just kind of you know what didn't kill our soldiers then killed our you know the 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 mothers at home mm-hmm. and killed the soldiers and right. killed everybody um you know german and english and uh algerian and french and whatever alike mm-hmm. and the i guess the scale of it yeah no i think that's a good point is that um Illness doesn't discriminate, um, and illness is invisible, I suppose. Like, it's not necessarily, it's as close to, like, I don't know, like, as close to divine as you can kind of get. Like, you just get sick, you're not sure why, you're not sure how, you're not sure if you'll survive. Um, Which I guess made it a really, which makes it, uh, I should say, a really appealing thing to um, write about or metaphoricalize, I guess. Right. Um, and then, you know, in the, in the contemporary, um, I think our fear is often of science gone too far, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or the weaponization of science. Uh, there's my voice, sorry. <coughs> uh, and so that's where you get these sort of like super bugs or, um, you know, something that somebody takes out of a lab and it is dropped in New York City or whatever the premise is um, for what is fascinating? What is fascinating to me is that, um, like in high school, or was it? No, no, in college even, um, there was swine flu, there was avian flu, um, there was the Ebola scare a, a year ago, um, which is, it's just kind of grim, right? That we we kind of have every two years or three years we have this um, virus scare in the summer, in the northern yeah. hemisphere summer. Remember Zika. Oh, that's right. Zika is, is still ongoing. Um, yeah. And then we have, in the winters, we have, like, the polar vortex or the um, weather run amok. Uh, it really is becoming very starkly, like, this is, like, you know, fire or frost, we're going to get it one way or another. Um, and specifically with globalization, this is something that um, is a little more, less is less fictional. Um, but I was just reading about how like a tremendous percentage of uh, frog populations have gone extinct um, from a fungus that um, has spread across the world due to globalization, due to Mm -hmm. like infected stuff. Like, um, and a biologist said that this is equivalent to um, all mammals with flippers and all mammals with hooves dying. Like, it's 
um, affected a tremendous amount of the amphibian population, and they just like, and only now are they possibly starting to fight back, but it's like already far too late because a lot of them had died before um, people had even started calculating it, I suppose, or uh, mm-hmm. measuring it. Um, anyways, which is all kind of grim. Um, but <laughs> I mean, it, it is grim, and we're also living in a time not to not to get too political, except I will. Um, you know, we're living in a time where people are not vaccinating their children, um, mm-hmm. and you're getting breakouts of, you know, the measles or breakouts of um, whatever these these easily prevented mm-hmm. diseases. Um, because people are not vaccinating their children and like we we are kind of waiting for an epidemic to happen Mm -hmm. um and it's gonna hit all the children first and then the elderly like it's it's i don't know i mean it's it's really interesting looking at the um the real world i suppose real world impact of this because you're right in that um post-apocalyptic fiction where disease runs rampant uh usually focused on bioterrorism or um, like there were all these fears that people will like reverse engineer the smallpox virus because it's like online um, Mm -hmm. and just like bring it back. And what we're looking at right now is not um, bioterrorism. It's just like people being dumbasses and saying, hey, let's give measles another go, right? Like measles isn't that bad. It's bio-libertarianism. Like the government can't tell me to vaccinate my child. Right. And it's, um, I mean, God, sorry. It's, it's just really bleak. It's, it's like really scary if I think too much about it, which is, um, the worst kind of scary because it doesn't go away because I don't think about it. Yeah. I think we had like the third, so, um, California actually requires that all kids be vaccinated unless they can't, um, unless they get a medical exemption. Um, and parents are, you know, finding doctors to write their children medical exemptions the same way you buy like a service dog vest off Amazon or something. Mm-hmm. So there was just like the third measles case reported. So like it's slower to start here because it's harder to like not vaccinate your children. Um, but I mean, yeah, I'm like maybe in the Bay Area. But, you know, it's what's interesting is a lot of these outbreaks are happening. You know, it's not like it, there's an over, there's a one to one overlap between like Trump supporters and anti-vaccination people. Yeah, for um, sure. Because it, it it is this left fringy lefty thing to do as well. Um, oh, for sure. No, I mean, and, it's, you know, it's, uh, anyway, we don't need to get deep into it. <laughs> Okay. Uh, um, but I think what what we're saying, right, is like this, it is still on our minds, obviously, like all mm-hmm. the time. Uh, the idea of a epidemic that, that could happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we are also, and we are also in living memory for many people, um, you know, still working through the trauma of the HIV and AIDS crisis, um, which was an epidemic mm-hmm. um, and which did kill a huge, huge population of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is still in some ways the model for a lot of people of 
um, of what an epidemic can look like. I think it's the way that they conceive of as like people think of when they think of, you know, a modern plague. Uh, That's which 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 also whatever. There obviously there are many things about this that um, are a problem. Uh, but part of it, like, I, I just think people don't, people our age don't know very much about, um, the, the HIV AIDS crisis, anyone younger than us, because it's just slightly before us, slightly before yeah. our time. Um, right. But, um, if I can interject right now, yeah, I'm not, you know, here's the thing. I'm not sure a lot of people do think about HIV AIDS, um, in the broader community that are not like, um, that are not LGBT. Uh, I like, I legitimately, I mean, it was not like, was it Nixon? No, not Nixon. Reagan. Was it Reagan? Reagan. That was laughing at like the idea of like gay men dying to AIDS. Yeah. Like it was not, um, a lot of people outside the communities that it was ravaging did not take it seriously at all and do not take it seriously at all. Um, I, no, I, I totally agree. Um, I think what I mean is I think there's like a, mm, like a cultural imprint that left and that has been, has warped people since. Like, I think a Mm -hmm. lot of, um, I mean, I think we talk about this in our zombie episode, um, again, where, uh, the, the sort of fear of the zombies is this kind of um, repressed or unspoken fear of uh, of AIDS? Um, mm-hmm. It's true. No, I mean, no, that's right. I think the words "repressed" um, clarifies it for me what you're what you're referring to because it's correct that there was a lot of fear of. Um, getting AIDS of, of, I don't know. I don't even know exactly like the whole, like, can you catch AIDS from toilet seats or um, like people saying like, Oh, like people suffering AIDS will like prick their fingers and leave the needles in like change return drawers um, of pay phones. Uh, because I don't know, because they just wanted to <laughs> like, um, right. So it was both this fear of a subculture and fear of just like malignancy of, um, and uh, for of the fucked up, like, um, I don't like, you know, they don't like I don't deserve AIDS. And oh yeah, I guess they don't deserve AIDS either. God bless them. But, you know, like with their lifestyle, what? Yeah. Right. Like, damn, I don't know. This is getting me real depressed. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we can veer away from that. Um, and And genuinely, I think, uh, who did I say? Susan Sontag. I think she's got like illness as metaphor and possibly AIDS as metaphor as well as books. I'm sure like mm-hmm. plenty of queer theorists have worked through this. Um, and oh, historians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to flag it as I think sort of a shadow memory or something. Absolutely. Uh, that's a really good, um, I think that's critical to flag just because uh, we, I mean, we just spent the last um like 10 minutes talking about um, literal plagues, literal epidemics. Um, and it would be very remiss not to bring up HIV AIDS, um, which has happened, which is still happening. I mean, it's... Yeah, um, yes. 
but it's like luckily a lot more manageable now. Uh, no, it's just kind of wild. Um, that's not the right word. I should not have, you know, that's not the right word to use, but yeah. Um, anyways. Yeah. So, I mean, well, some fictional plays. You want to talk I- about some, uh, Oh, wait, what were you going to say? Oh, I said some... I was going to talk about some fictional plagues um, oh, okay, to, to go mix ahead. it up a bit. Um, no, I mean, I was just sort of thinking about um, when we were talking about bioterror- bioterrorism, um, there's um, Oryx and Crake, um, which, you know, f- I guess spoilers, like famously ends with um, an inventor, like, killing everyone with, like, this highly contagious disease smuggled inside this, like, aphrodisiac drink or something. Um, or like another book where like, uh, and this, this book was like a hell of a mess. It was like, um, you, people could like found a gateway to a Neanderthal world. Um, only the protagonist was at one point, um, sorry, there's going to be, um, a little bit of a sexual assault warnings, um, coming up ahead for about like a few minutes, about five minutes. Um, the protagonist is raped, I th- believe in the first book. In the second or third book, like, her Neanderthal lover, like, forcibly castrates her rapist. Um, and then in the third book, her, like, her now castrated rapist is a- apologetic and creates, like, a virus that kills all men. Um, all human men, not Neanderthal men. Um, and unleashes it in the Neanderthal world so no human men can enter that world and, you know, quote-unquote, pollute it. Um, before killing himself in a house fire. Um, so that's weird, that's, huh? That's a lot. Yeah. That's a really weird B plot. That's a B plot, by the way. That is not an A plot. Um, the A plot is like human Neanderthal relationships and like um, stuff like that. But yeah, so so a lot of like engineered plagues, bioterrorism. Yeah. I mean, and you know, there's so many classic episodes of like, every crime show where they have to stop the terrorist from unleashing the um the bioweapon yeah mm-hmm. that will you know infect all of new york it's always new york city it's always goddamn new york city um and i think part of it is i mean part of the terrorism terrorism is alluring because it is like fiction loves to play with um reaping what humanity has sown um, humanity as a whole, you know, quote unquote, I think we've, I think Molly, you made a really good point in one of our earlier podcasts that, um, humanity in this case is a really broad vanilla term that doesn't really address the problems, um, uh, of like when they say humanity, they do not mean like humanity in general, but anyways. Yeah. Right. And that's the science gone too far. Um, but you know, with the, with the terrorism thing, it's also, because of our cultural fascination with terrorism. Yeah, and, that's fair. Like, just, just throw that in there. Like, because we love hyping up, you know, foreign terrorists um, are going to are gonna get us. And, you know, the brave men and women of our armed forces are the only ones who are stopping these plagues from hitting New York City like every other day. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is fair because... No, I mean, I mean, yeah, which is fair because of talking about how terrorism, the prospect of terrorism has like fundamentally changed the mental landscape of a lot of people writing in um, Western contexts. Um, U.S. counterterrorism initiatives have fundamentally reshaped the platform of the world. Um, Anyways, but that's all very obvious. So why am I saying this? 
Um, other people. <laughs> Molly, go on. Uh, no. Are we still talking about plagues then? I don't think I have anything else to say about plagues. <laughs> yeah, I think we should just go. Um, yep. I think uh, we can move on. <laughs> okay. Because uh, you know what? I want to talk about a more... Well, a depressing in a different way topic, but kind of, which is dying teens in love. Um, okay. I just like want to get your thoughts on like, what is this genre? So um, I'm thinking of things like The Fault in Our Stars, which is mm-hmm. a novel where the two teens who fall in love are both um, people with cancer and... Uh, like, spoiler alert, one of them dies by the end of the book. Uh, or A Walk to Remember, which was a Nicholas Sparks novel and also a movie in, like, the early 2000s um, mm-hmm. that I saw in theaters and cried over. So, like, I was, like, 11, just, like, sobbing. Um, because, spoiler alert, one of them has cancer and dies. Um, and now we've got a new movie coming out with, uh, whatever, the guy who plays Jughead on Riverdale. Oh um, no, Chughead. He ate one burger too many. The the called Five Feet Apart where I, I've only seen the like a bit of the trailer, so maybe I'm misrepresenting it. But it seems to be like two teens who are like very sick and they are not allowed to sort of touch each other or be near each other because of infection. Um and so probably one of them at least will die by the end. Um, <laughs> so what do you think about that? Um, I think it's, I mean, having no solid familiarity with the genre other than The Fault in Our Stars, which I, did we watch that together? Like We did watch the movie together, yeah. Okay. And I, yeah. I read the book. Because there's like the point in the, in the book where like they kiss in Anne Frank house and everyone like starts clapping because it's so romantic or something, right? I don't know. Yeah. Um, well, that's not quite it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah right um i'm probably doing it um at the service and if i was there i probably would have clapped too um i i don't like it i guess yeah um i many people don't many people feel that it romanticizes <laughs> um you know cancer and early death it's interesting i think it, i think it fundamentally is a very straight genre yeah because, I don't know, because I suppose, like, straight genre, it's like, oh, they, it's because of love, that's very romantic. Whereas, um, are there any queer versions of this? None that come to mind, but it's not exactly a genre I seek out. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Dante and Aristotle, neither of them die? Neither of them die. Neither it's of them die. It's a beautiful story. It's Thank lovely God. and sweet. Okay. Because I was just wondering whether the gloss, the gloss on, um, like, uh, two boys falling in love and then one of them dying because they're cancer. Um, sorry, I don't know. I mean, I, I just sort of come back to, like, HIV AIDS and, like, Yeah, well, no, I, you think, know. I think that's totally right. Like, I think that is the read that people would have on that um, situation. And, I mean, I think part of the, the, the thing about these, like, teen tragic deaths, right, is, like, they're so innocent and they're so have love in this like new way that only people who, you know, know they don't have very much time can. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and I like also, by the way, I do understand that John Green said he was trying to like 
subvert that with the fault in our stars. I'm not going to argue with anybody about how well it happens, but anyway. Okay. Um, but I think, I I think that is part of it. Like, I think, um, there is this, um, sort of mythic innocence or something that you can tack on to Mm -hmm. dying teens. Um, if they're straight and I mean, we just know like innocence doesn't, doesn't, uh, tack on to like LGBT kids in the same way. Um, or actually non-white children as well. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. There's uh something very, I don't know. I, I suppose that I'm, um, I'm, tr- I'm wrapping my head around this as we're talking, which doesn't make for the most thrilling audio content, but <laughs> the, <laughs> The process of, this process of, like, true love, the first love. Right, yeah, I know, I don't know. It's, there's something pure about it, something romanticized about it. Um, a lot of things that tie in, a lot of, tie into a lot of stuff that just brings out, like, the worst of behaviors in a lot of people. Of, like, marrying marrying young before you're really independent. And then just, like, getting into, like, these really tricky relational relationship in the whatever waters Mm -hmm. because you've never really known or had the chance to like negotiate how to bring someone else into your life and how to live with someone else in your life um and it's like don't worry like it'll all work out or like if it doesn't work out it's better to die you know (laughs) like it's better to like oh you know like oh we're gonna go old and we're gonna fight about like you know who picks up the check and we're like you know, one of us will really like pickles and I will hate them um, and be like, hey, if you eat pickles, you're sleeping on the couch because I hate your pickle breath. So better to die of cancer um, oh than God. to like negotiate that, right? Um, and then negotiate like Tuesday's pickle day. I mean, I think, yeah, like you, you get to escape just the, the prosaic mundane stuff of, of love, um, mm-hmm. of a relationship. Because he skips, they actually, um, I remember this from watching Moulin Rouge, um, uh-huh. which they're not teens in Moulin Rouge, but they're, you know, young people. Uh, <laughs> and I, I watched, I was obsessed with this movie when I was younger and I watched it with the director's commentary. Mm-hmm. And one of the, and one of the things that he said was, um, or maybe the producers, whoever, one of the things they said was, um, that they oh spoiler alert they killed the protagonist uh the the woman in the end because they're like because that's just like that way you just get the full love story like you get the story from beginning to end oh give me a and you're sort of fast forwarding through all the other stuff um so like she's dying of tuberculosis the whole movie this really Mm -hmm. isn't a spoiler because they tell you in the first like minute um (laughs) okay that she's dead but uh yeah, and like I think that that is the the mindset of like narratively, dramatically, you're cutting the cutting the fat or whatever you cut the boring part. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're tri- you're trimming the fat. That's right. Trimming the fat. You're I don't know these meat metaphors. Um, <laughs> Crossing out the rutabaga. Uh, yeah. So I think I do think that's part of it, and like it's even more poignant when it's young people. But still old enough that they can be sexu you know, have a little bit of sexuality. And I think, you know, now now that we're now that you've um 
given your read of this, I think I've, it, it allows me to crystallize what sits, sits, what gets sticks in my craw is that like these, those normal things, the idea of like growing old is a lot of, is a fantasy that a lot of um, LGBT kids um, don't have access to or, or find mm-hmm. it hard to imagine, right? It's like, it's easy to imagine dying young when you're LGBT. Like I'm, that's kind of, it's easy to imagine dying alone. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of growing old together is something that is really, can be kind of out of reach. And it's just kind of like, ugh, growing old together, like old ball and chain. And you're like, what are you talking about? Right? Like, um, what gives you the right to take for granted someone that will love you? Um, yeah. Yeah. So when so I don't know how John Green thinks that he's subverting the um, narrative when he says that like when they have a tumultuous love affair and like a heart wrenching I mean, because it's a lot more like uh like it is it is like less quote unquote glamorous um like there isn't like a, a pretty side to death um and. Just like some of the choices he makes. I would say this is in the book, not the movie. Um, Mm -hmm. And either way, like, I don't necessarily agree. Um, But I do think, like, he is conscious of the, um, you know, Nicholas Sparks, a walk to remember model, and is trying Mm -hmm. to consciously do something different than that. Okay. I'll... Okay, sure. (laughs) I mean, part of it is also, like, the kids are more like real kids and less like little saints, which often happens. I think that's also just a trend in, uh, yeah, YA though. So, like, I mean, that's just not not a trend. Like that is YA literature. Like, good YA literature is always, you know, right. You get real teens and not like. Oh yeah, that, yeah, angels. critical because the angel has to die. Um, by the way, if if somebody is an angel, like somebody's like a perfect, innocent angel, she mm-hmm. has to die. Usually a she. She mm-hmm. has to die. That's what happens in Walk to Remember. The woman is like, or the girl is like, you know, so beautiful and Christian and like pure and loving. And, you know, she has her moments, but she's great. Um, and so her death is this sort of like beautiful thing, but she's... Um, you know, like, but we were it's all blessed great. to have her in our lives. Um, okay. In a very, um, another example I would point to would be uh, Little Women. Um, uh-huh. When the, which which is the one who dies? Beth? I think Beth. I have no um, idea. Honestly, sorry. That's okay. I think it's Beth um, who dies. And, but it's, it's the, again, it's the sister who's the, like, sweet one who cares about everybody else and is selfless and is, like, a little angel. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, going all the way back to Uncle Tom's Cabin, when you get little Eva, who is the, you know, sweet, innocent white girl um, who doesn't see race, basically, or doesn't distinguish uh, based on race and mm-hmm. whose purity... Uh, fills other people with betterness in their lives, but who must, you know, die and go to God. Um, Right. So it's a very, like, I mean, 
it's a, it's a different kind of dead white girl than we talked about in previous episodes, <laughs> but it's, it is right. a trend of dead white girls. Um, Robin Bernstein is an academic who has a book called uh, Racial Innocence, and it's really, really good. It's about this, just for mm-hmm. anybody who's interested. That was the end of my thing. <laughs> cool. No, no, no. That's that's great. Um, I guess I guess something you were talking about got me thinking about the romanticization of illness, but I think it's not it's not necessarily as common now. I think uh, I was just bringing me back to um, a class I had in college where. Um, it was like all the rage to get tuberculosis because it was like the artist disease and it like yeah. made you a better writer because you're dying. Um, yeah. And how like a couple authors started like openly rebelling against this idea that like slowly dying of tuberculosis was in any way um, romantic or positive or anything other than just like horrible preventable tragedy. Yeah. Um you know what I like in old timey things when people just die of chills. The chills. They just get a chill. Um, I was thinking about in <laughs> Jane Austen. No, like the the character I'm thinking of don't die in Jane Austen, but in Jane mm-hmm. Austen, where, um, like in Pride and Prejudice, the mother sends her daughter out in the rain to the man she wants her daughter to marry's house. Um, mm-hmm. In the hopes that she gets sick and has to stay there. And that's exactly what happens. But, like, in that instance, it's not life-threatening. But, like, it okay, could be because say, like, in another Jane Austen novel, a woman get, is out in the rain and comes down with a cold or, like, the chills or whatever. And she almost mm-hmm. dies. But she's heartbroken, so that's why she almost dies. Um, but, like, either way, I, I think those are funny instances of, um, like... A fairly like in not innocuous but like normal just not normal i hate that word um (laughs) regular familiar illness um Mm -hmm. like being used toward very important plot ends rather than just a kind of a joke in sitcoms like we discussed earlier well, we didn't really yeah. discuss. We mentioned earlier. We mentioned it earlier. I mean, it's um, it provides a pretty good segue for talking about how, um, like before, I guess, in like um, how in sitcoms it's considered that like if you get sick, you can you'll pull through. Like if your leg is broken, if you get a cut, like you don't have to worry about like the wound getting infected and dying. I suppose so. It's just like the corollary to the weed episodes or like the drug episodes of like oh now they're sick and they're like kind of whiny or something i don't know molly what's your um like they're i don't know it's just another plot device i guess like as opposed to something life-threatening um yeah no i think that's i think that's right like it, it can be like illness can just be a plot device it can be the thing that helps you you know, have your protagonist do something silly or have to rely on someone for help and mm-hmm. have a romantic moment or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. So it's it's definitely. Like it's like really sweet. I mean, yeah, right. It's like yeah. someone it allows someone to show care without having to juggle like, oh, are they going like, are you going to kill them off? It's just like. Hey, this person, I mean, hmm. 
Right. I guess it's just the vector to like for the act of caring, I guess. Yeah. I um, mean, in, in fan fiction world, uh, this is often called hurt comfort, uh, where you're one of go, your characters go. is hurt or is sick or whatever. The other one comforts mm-hmm. them. And that's the whole thing. <laughs> okay. That's like really very sweet, I guess. I mean, it's just, it sounds like a really low key, like fan fiction trope. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's the fantasy of, it's the fantasy of loving someone so much that you want to take care of them. But I think more than that, it's the fantasy of being taken care of. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really the fantasy we all have. Um, and according to one woman I read, is the driving sort of psychological force behind, uh, like, romance novel readers. Okay, drive. the fantasy uh, sure. of being taken care of. Uh, she was very nice about it. Okay. <laughs> all right, that's better. I mean, it's, like, very understandable that it's the, fan- the fantasy is of being taken care of because a lot of these women who she was studying were, um, you know, housewives or women who were doing a lot of domestic work, um, doing a lot of stuff with their family, didn't really get much time to themselves. So in their time to themselves, they would read these romance novels um, Mm -hmm. where they could have the fantasy of being cared for rather than doing all the caring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, hurt comfort is basically like a, a, a trope within a romance novel that is also there for in fan fiction. Right. Um, kind of, and we will have to talk about fan fiction again at some point. It's like, it's another trope that is drawn out and distilled through the lens of fan fiction to be like, this is a, this is exact, this is all I want. Like right now, this is what I need. Uh huh. Yeah. Sorry. I don't know. Um, no, sorry. You kind of cut out in and out a little bit there. So I missed what you were saying, but I'm sure it was very smart. No, no, no. no. I mean, it it was just talking about, um. Okay, it it was about how fan fiction, in a lot of ways, like, takes um, a long... Like, for some people, you distill it into the parts that you want to read, and Hurt Comfort fulfills a very primal need the same way that, like, Porn Without Plot does. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, Yeah, I think we could have a whole conversation about, like, which I think we do in our fan fiction episode about the relationship between fan fiction and romance novels and stuff. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Was there anything else we wanted to cover? Talking about illness? Talking about illness. No, I think, I mean, um, let me just quickly summarize things in my own head, just so I, like, retrace our steps. Um, so we talked about, um, both the roots in either real ecological plagues, um, avian flu, swine flu. We talked about, um, HIV AIDS. Um, we talked about uh bioterrorism and then we talked about uh like sick and in like teens that are sick and in love and um straight white teens that are sick and in love um and then we mm-hmm. briefly touched on colds and humor um i think those are the major yeah oh, i guess i could talk about um yeah i think i think so and i think sickness as a moral failing um I don't know. Is there is there as much of that going around? I mean, I, I guess it's just something that um, I think it depends on the sickness. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's something that we definitely touch on when when we briefly talked about HIV/AIDS. Um, right. Well, and and people are very uncomfortable 
with chronic illness. Like I think part of the the young teen dies thing um, is also because people are uncomfortable with the idea of a, a disabled person, you know, living into adulthood and having a full life, even if it is a life that involves chronic illness or pain mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and that's a problem, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Huh. I guess, I mean, I, I think that might be it for, um, yeah. for sickness for this time. Um, we'll always, we're always open to having these topics come up a second time and to um, discuss them further in depth when we, when we want to revisit them. Whether that's because we read a book that we want to talk about or whether we um, just found out we have more to say about it. I guess before we... T- I mean, this kind of is a good segue into um, our final one just because I've been playing a game called Sekiro. Um, Shadows Die Twice. Uh, and mm. it's really in that uh, in that game, there's a sickness called Dragon Rot where explicitly if you the player dies too often um you begin infecting random people in the world with dragon rot because you are dying so much you're like using their blood power to come back to life um so which is not really an angle i've seen um often elsewhere but i think it's just interesting in the way that it explicitly says like you're kind of fucking this up for people (laughs) like yeah you like it's not like oh there's a sickness connected to you coming it's like when you come back the stagnation in your blood no longer can power your resurrection so it will like suck the vitality force of people other people and they will become sick and you're at fault um which puts a lot of pressure on you in that game not to die um, beyond what is already there to not die so it's um i'm not positive if it has um, if it's doing something grander with it um, versus like this explicit like uh, don't die um, cycles of um, like you know of of like exploitation unknowing or knowing exploitation um, and so on uh, but it was it was kind of interesting to me that's like it was on my mind when we decided to talk about sickness um, that this like whole dragon rot thing yep yeah cool so that's what you've been doing lately? That, that is what I've been doing. I've also been playing a game called Baba Is You, which is this really delightful puzzle game where um, the rules of the world are like actual objects in the world. It's like one of those games where like you push around blocks. Um, so like Baba is, will be one block, is, is another block, and you is a third block. Um, and there like, might be like flowers or walls or pipes or water in the world. Um, so what's interesting is that you can manipulate the rules by pushing the blocks together. So if you have Baba is you and you um, push like water and replace the Baba in that phrase with water is you, then when you move when you move around, the water moves around because um, you're now controlling the water instead of the little sheep, mm-hmm. um, which is really cool. It's, it's, it's a really interesting puzzle because you have stuff like wall is stop. So if you can like push that apart, so wall is stop is no longer rule so you can just walk through walls um so it's i'm i'm enjoying it a lot and i think it's um something that i find kind of dark but funny about it is that um there's like this like chipper tune that plays in the background as you're playing um and then if you ever accidentally like 
if if there is no you in the scene, like for example, if you accidentally push Baba is you apart, so there is like nothing is you, the music like cuts out, um, and you can't do anything because you've just like ontologically deconstructed yourself, um, which I think is kind of hilarious, honestly. Um, okay, but yeah, Molly, what have you been doing? Um. So I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks lately, and I've been listening specifically to romance novels um, because I have the Audible romance package right now. I got like a Mm -hmm. free trial. And so I've been listening to uh, one series in particular, which is the it's called like The Brothers Sinister by Courtney Milan. Um, And I really like it. I've read a few of her books, and these are by far my favorite um, that she has. I, I especially um, the the third book, which I just finished, called "The Countess Conspiracy," is mm-hmm. is really excellent. Um, but I, I appreciate she she's very thoughtful about the political world of her characters, their historical romances. Um, but there are a lot of things coming up about like labor and race well race less so in this series um Mm -hmm. well so far i should say but no it does it does come up race and uh imperialism and um and sexism and all of this is like she she sort of deals with it um even as she's telling like a really compelling love story and i think that's very impressive um yeah so I, I would heartily recommend those that that series. Um, and it, the, the first one in the series, the first full novel in the series is called uh, The Duchess War. And uh-huh. then there's like a little novella prequel as well. But I wouldn't read that till you read the first one. Just my my two cents. Um, I'm excited for The Duchess War. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they're 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 good. They're good. Um, I still have mm-hmm. one more novel and one more novella in the series, so we'll see. Really? But basically, each each book follows a different uh, character um, and a different romance. But they're all people who like know each other. They're friends. Um, it's basically three dudes who are left-handed, <laughs> and they're called the Brother Sinister. Oh, I see. That's really clever. That's um, like that's like nice. Yeah. So I've been doing that. And then the other thing was I finally started watching the Sabrina the Teenage Witch reboot or whatever. The the mm-hmm. spooky adventures of... Sabrina the Witch. Sabrina. Yeah, I don't remember. Comma the Witch. Oh. Um, and I had watched an episode before, but now I'm several episodes in. And I'm enjoying it. It's... It makes me think a lot. Um <laughs> I, I feel like I would I would have way? too much to say about it to really say it now, but it's uh it's it's very odd and um I'm not quite sure what it's doing. Okay, that's not that's not like the best endorsement you've ever given. Um, I mean, I'll say I like it is... my friend Ilana loves it. She thinks it's okay. great. Uh, I'm enjoying watching it, but I'm. Like, sometimes it's just, like, very stupid, and sometimes it's trying to do, like, something very, like, political and... Timely? Like, be very sharp, 
but I don't know if it's succeeding or not. I'm just not sure if it's working or not. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where I'm at on that. But also finish the season at, uh, at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, apologies. Apologies for my voice. Um, okay. Well, I think that's it for all that stuff. Um, just in terms of uh, housekeeping, we will have another episode out, I promise you, um, like a bit earlier than sh- should be scheduled. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know. I mean, we're... Um... But I want... Okay. My goal is for us to put an episode out before April 14th, which is both Alice's birthday and the Game of Thrones yeah. premiere, because I'd like Thanks. to do an episode... Um, of Game of Thrones predictions. So that's that's my uh, my thing that I would like to do and that I promise to do before. You desperately want to do. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Oh, taxes. I have to do taxes soon. This is the I latest I've ever pushed, pushed off taxes. That's great. All right. Well, um, I, think, I think we're on a Wednesday schedule now, aren't we? Um, yeah, so we're on a Wednesday schedule now. Um, so maybe... Well, I don't know. We'll we'll talk about scheduling later. Mm-hmm. But this will come up soon and then the next one sometime after that before yeah. April 14th. Yep, I think I think I mean I think it's um yeah, just because I think we we just did a Game of Thrones episode and I don't want to like feel li- like listeners to feel like they they haven't gotten enough like juicy regular episodes, but we're also big Game of Throners. It's coming back, and it's then it's ending. So this is like Molly's soul know, can finally pass on to kind of yeah, because it's not like right. we're going to be making a lot of predictions for the winds of winter. Yeah, it's true. This is our last shot to say that we we fucking called it. Yeah. Um. Okay. So feel free to follow us on Twitter. I am pretty much um, Game of Thrones twenty four seven right now. So, and complaining about trying to write my uh, proposal for my dissertation, but mostly Game of Thrones. Um, I'm at the Molly Jean. That's the M-O-L-L-Y-J-E-A-N-N-E. And I'm at Alice Lai, A-L-O-N-K-U-L-O-U-S. As always, tweet at us if you want us to talk about anything or if we've ever um, missed anything, didn't cover something you wanted us to cover. And... Um, I think that's it. Is there anything else, Molly? No, I think that's it. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. And as always, stay hungry. Wow.